In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the OGGN HSE podcast sponsored by KnowledgeVine. KnowledgeVine is the leader in human performance improvement training and technologies committed to reducing the frequency and severity of workplace errors by helping organizations leverage technology to easily create a sustainable safety culture. KnowledgeVine is the evolution of human performance and you can learn more at KnowledgeVine.com. And I'm not exactly sure when this podcast is going to be produced. There may still be time for you to find out about and register for the second annual Human Performance in Action Conference. That's sponsored by KnowledgeVine and the HP Community of Practice to be held in Houston, Texas at the downtown Hyatt Regency, April 17th through the 19th. And even if you're listening to this podcast after the conference has already concluded, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn I can share with you the highlights from this conference because, as I've told people, if you're only going to go to one safety conference this year, this is the one, and you should go to at least one, this is the one you should go to. The theme is identifying and managing risk, the science, data, and application of working safely. This is taking human performance principles and standards and practices from the nuclear and aviation industry and showing you how you can incorporate it into your own company or your own particular industry. If there is still time to sign up for the conference, my listeners can get a discount by using the code or the discount code OGGNHSE podcast. That's OGGNHSE podcast. So today my guest on the show is Amanda Duhon. Amanda, did I say that right? Well, Deep down in Louisiana, we say do yam. Ah, okay. See, now that, see, this is, as the intro to the show says, this is the internationally acclaimed OGGN HSE podcast. And of course, the voiceover on the show is a lovely British accent. And then my Texas accent comes in, you know. <laughs> and so I'm always messing, messing things. In fact, so just everybody's probably figured it out already, but obviously Amanda is Cajun. <laughs> so Amanda's from Louisiana. Of course, this, is heard in over 134 countries. Probably not everybody's heard about Cajuns, but as Justice Wilson used to say, there was a time in history hundreds of years ago when France came under the dominance of England, and they were supposed, you know, everybody in France was supposed to pledge allegiance to the King of England. Well, there was a group of people. They didn't pledge allegiance to the King of England. They swore at the King of England. (laughs) And real good, too, as Justice Wilson used to say. So they all immigrated down to America, and they wound up in the Gulf of Mexico, and they had a few bad pilots. And so those pilots wound up in Port Arthur and Orange and all that. But the good pilots wound up over there on the Louisiana coast and— (laughs) <laughs> that became your Cajuns. Yep. So you're from where originally, Amanda? I'm from a little town called Scott outside of Lafayette, Louisiana. Outside of Lafayette, yeah. okay. But today we're sitting in your offices in, in Houston, the, in the big metropolis of Houston. So how long have you been in Houston? Well, most of my life, honestly. It was oil and gas that took my family from Lafayette area to Houston in the 80s. So I consider myself a Cajun Houstonian. Well, we've Houston got, is home, but we, I know where I came from. <laughs> we've got a few. 
Back to that pronunciation, though. And speaking of Cajuns, there's actually a restaurant in a town called Homer, Louisiana. And it's called Boudreaux and Thibodeau's, and it's a Cajun restaurant. And they send out a Boudreaux and Thibodeau joke of the day. Pretty common. It, yeah, Pretty exactly. Common. <laughs> My problem with telling those jokes is, is I can't get the, I just can't get that Duhan, Duhan you said, you know. Or, or, <laughs> that Duyon, that Duyon. Cajun accent. I can't get that Cajun accent down. So you went to school here in Houston? Or? I did. I did. I went to Pasadena High School. And I went to university at St. Thomas University for both my degrees. Okay. So for those who don't know, St. Thomas University's just outside the heart of downtown Houston, mm-hmm. actually really close to the medical center. Yeah. So what'd you get your degree in? My bachelor's is in international studies, and my master's is in political science, focusing on public policy and administration. Oh, wow. So we haven't mentioned it yet. Let me, <laughs> let me go back here. Amanda, you are with an organization called EIC. Yep, Energy Industries Council. Energy Industries Council. And you are the... I'm the vice president and regional director for our North and Central America region. Okay, so EIC is... Definitely international in scope, right? It is, it is. So we're headquartered in London in the UK. And we have offices in Kuala Lumpur, Dubai, Houston, and Rio. Okay. All right. So tell me about Energy Industries Council. What is that? Is that oil and gas related? Is that it's all sectors related. We are what our CEO likes to say is energy sector agnostic. So What we are is a membership organization. So we have about 800 energy supply chain companies around the world that are in our membership. And we're funded by and overseen by our membership through our board of directors. And what we do is we provide project intelligence. So whether companies are looking at new project builds across the energy sector or facilities already on the ground in operation. And this is across oil and gas, so upstream, midstream, downstream, as well as power, nuclear, renewables, and indeed the very posh energy transition technologies everyone's talking about right now, such as hydrogen and CCUS. Basically, what we do is we have two databases where we're tracking basically the full life cycle of energy projects, so from cradle to grave. And depending on where the supply chain works, whether, you know, they're looking at the CapEx or if they're looking at operations and maintenance, they can be fully aware of the situation of any project that's currently in the pipeline. We also complement our data with market intelligence reports, whether it's discussing a specific sector like global offshore wind or looking at subsea technology or looking at a specific country and what the energy opportunities are they're heat mapping the major players, government, regulatory environment. And then we host events internationally where we bring project decision makers together with the supply chain to talk about projects and opportunities. Actually, I looked at, you've got a conference coming up this year, right? We have several. We have you've several. Got, you've, got, you've got a big one. I looked on your website. We do have a big one coming up in Aberdeen in June. It's our largest conference and exhibition that we do 
It's called Energy Exports Conference. It's really an avenue to bring the entire picture together across the energy sector. So there's a series of high-level, forward-looking thought leadership panels. And then the major beef of the conference, so to speak, is to have the operators and contractors in across the energy sectors talking about their current projects, projects to come. How does the supply chain go about doing business with those companies? Lots of interesting information. We're talking about HSE today. So, you know, what are their net zero scopes and how does that pertain to the supply chain looking to feed into projects? And then meet the buyer one-to-one meeting. So all of our speakers We'll have about two hours to meet with delegates throughout the day. Then, of course, we have an exhibition of international companies. We bring in delegations from around the world. So all of our regional offices globally bring speakers and companies from around the world. And we all meet in one place, Aberdeen. Now, is it always in Aberdeen? It's always in Aberdeen. Okay. Yeah. During the pandemic, of course, we moved online. Sure. But it's an Aberdeen-based conference. And then, of course, regionally, we have smaller export conferences, which we call EIC Connect. So these are much smaller, but it's pretty much the same agenda. Okay. All right. So a couple of things. We use this word supply chain. Yes. You hear supply chain all the time. In fact, you've really heard a lot about, you said you had some, your master's or whatever in political science or whatever. I mean, you know, that that's the political buzzword, especially here in the United States since COVID, and mm-hmm. that is the supply chain. So explain or define supply chain and where are we today with our supply chain? All right. So from an EIC member perspective, when we say supply chain, we are talking about those companies that are feeding some sort of product or service into an energy project. So it could be the nuts and the bolts and the valves, and or it could be services ranging from recruitment to consultancy services to engineering services. So the vast majority of our membership are those companies providing those nuts and bolts and LED lights and so y'all bring all these organizations together because together. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here in your office and I don't see hundreds. I mean, from what you're talking about, this takes hundreds and thousands of people. I don't see <laughs> hundreds of people in your office, but you coordinate with all these companies to do that. Yeah. So we essentially provide them the market intelligence to help them take forward their business development efforts. So they're aware of where the specific business opportunities are globally or per sector. But of course, our membership ranges through the full value chain of these energy projects. So as I mentioned, vast majority are going to be, you know, providing some sort of goods, you know, product to these projects or some sort of service to these projects. But we also have the tier one EPCs, so the engineering procurement and contracting companies who are in our membership, as well as some independent oil companies as well. So okay. Really is. As far as from a supply chain perspective, things are busy. There's still a bit of a supply chain crunch, and that's going to take time to overcome that from the pandemic. And that's from the pandemic, right? From the pandemic, yes. But what we're hearing from our members is that business is booming. They're busy, they're filling orders. And so I think that's a really great sign. Well, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I guess the big thing that you're doing as far as all of this coordination and consulting and whatnot, 
you're really taking the lead on what we call this energy transition thing, right? Yeah, we were one of the first trade associations, I think, first to post in talking about energy transition because we had a role to play. We needed to ensure that we were educating our members on what energy transition meant to them. And what does it mean to them? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it means we have to change the way that we do business moving forward. And, you know, I like to think about energy transition, two different hats. I think it's talking about energy transformation. And that means something a little bit different than energy transition. So let's say... That's interesting. Yeah. So let's talk about energy transition. And I think the transition aspect is transitioning in a way towards net zero. And it involves all companies, whether you're a renewables energy company or whether you're an oil and gas company. It's bringing on more renewables into the power grid. It's looking at new technologies and bringing those into the market, all in a way to provide another source of energy that is less carbon intensive or helps us to meet our net zero targets. On the other side of that is transformation. And that's I I think I like that word. (laughs) And for me, talking about transformation is a reality that we have to talk about, and that is oil and gas is still going to play a major role. Say it, say it again. Say it again, Amanda. Say it again. I, I, I love the way you use the word reality because I'm going to tell you, I attended and actually had to moderate a conference here a couple of months ago. And I was surrounded by people who just, you know, to me, were not living in reality. Yes. You know, the, I once had a psychologist tell me that we always talk about definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. But the psychologist told me, he said, the clinical definition of insanity is the inability to deal with reality. Mm-hmm. And, and I just said, you people are insane. <laughs> so, so talk more about that. Well, I mean, there is the reality that if you look at the data, and this is data coming from the IEA, this is data coming from, you know, the independent oil and gas operators and their annual reports, oil and gas is still going to make up a significant amount of the energy or feedstock. And not a lot of people start talking about feedstocks. Okay, there, that you're 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 singing you're you're singing a second verse of my song right there. <laughs> you know, one of the commissioners on the railroad commission. I was chairman of API Houston chapter, and so I had her. She was on the program here two or three years ago, and she was talking about all these people who wanted to come in and rail against oil and gas and all that sort of thing. They wanted to have a meeting with her, you know. And, and she said, "Okay," she said. Now, when you come to the meeting, said you're not going to bring your cell phone, are you? And they said, why, are you afraid we're going to record something? Right? She said, no, no, you, you know, you don't want oil and gas, so leave your cell phone, because if it weren't for oil and gas, you wouldn't have that stupid smartphone. <laughs> People have no idea mm-hmm. what you're talking about there. Yeah, yeah. So, and we need to educate them on it, too. Yes, yeah. And I think that could be our second podcast, talking about the education piece, because... So do you guys, are you guys involved in that? Not really, not really. You know, we do some training courses. We've hosted some training courses out of our London office about energy transition. 
but it's not at the heart of what we do. And we're very data-driven in providing that data to our members. But I could definitely talk about that educational piece in another (laughs) podcast. So, you know, going back to the energy transformation piece, you know, I talked about publications, but also looking at EIC data. When we look at the projects being put forward, 60%, a little close to about 60% of the projects being put forward, whether they've met FID or not, whether there's contracting activity moving forward, is in renewables and energy transition. But if we look at the CapEx spend, the vast majority of that goes towards oil and gas. So these projects are still moving forward. And the reason why is that there is a demand for oil and gas, especially, you know, we can call it part of the Ukraine effect. Our CEO mentions this quite often. You know, we are having to provide oil and gas internationally because of everything that's going on between Russia and the Ukraine. But also we have a growing population. So the demand is there. But with that demand and these projects moving forward, we really have to look at the way that we're delivering these projects because we are in a changing environment, whether you believe in climate change, you believe in climate cycles, whatever you want to call it, our environment is changing and we have to do something about it. Well, and as I always say, nobody wants dirty air, dirty water, you know, to push grandma off the cliff, you know, like (laughs) people are in that other camp are often accused of. But one of the things is when it comes to these sort of things and doing a better job, well, you know, just for example, I saw the other day a comparison picture of a mining operation Mm -hmm. to make electric batteries for cars versus this pristine, beautiful oil pad facility, you know, (laughs) and in all fairness, you might not could have taken that picture 50 years ago, Mm -hmm. you know, but I interviewed a scientist here several weeks ago, and they had done some studies in Montana and Wyoming. Actually, after an operator went in, drilled a well and all that sort of thing, and then, you know, set up his production facility and came out, cleaned it up, Mm -hmm. they actually left the environment better Mm-hmm. than it was before they went in. And we're doing those sort of things, and we're capturing carbon, but we're figuring out how to make money doing yep. it. You know, and Those are the kinds of things that I think are transforming. Yes, exactly. And that's my point. I mean, we can look at oil and gas operators, and they're already looking into and investing significant amount of money into technologies such as hydrogen or carbon capture and storage to help mitigate the carbon that is put out there because of their operations. But there's other things that these companies are looking at, such as electrification of... Yeah, instead of diesel-powered stuff and on the rigs and and in production facilities and wherever Mm -hmm. that stuff is used. And looking at flaring, for example, ways to mitigate the methane because the methane is... Well, and again, I just read an article about that the other day. That's another one of those things. They're saying, why should we waste that resource? Exactly. I mean, that's really, I mean, it's even if you don't take the, whatever you believe about the environmental consequences of it, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just stupid. It doesn't make sense to just waste that, you know? And the oil and gas industry is figuring that out because 
In fact, I'm sitting here in your office looking at a major drilling, I guess that's offshore drilling rig there. Yeah. People have, I think, little appreciation for the amount of engineering and the complexity of bringing oil up out mm-hmm. of the ground. And so now we've learned, as you use that word, I love that word transformation. Now we're taking that same smarts, if you please, and we're applying it to, you know, how to do this more efficiently for the environment. Yeah, I mean, it's about optimizing <laughs> the way that you do business and taking HSE into an account, you know, it's almost that you have to have that social license to operate these days because society is demanding that. So it's a win-win situation. You're optimizing the way that you do business. You're reducing your carbon footprint and you're meeting the demands by society. So for me, it's a no-brainer. So it truly is a transformation in the way that oil and gas does business. There's also another reality of that. and that, Okay, hit me with it. I know, love reality. <laughs> you know, the oil and gas industry is providing a feedstock, right? And so this flows down to the downstream sector. And when we're looking at the things that I think Western society doesn't take into an account in the way that we live our daily lives, and, you know, that's our household items, you know, makeup I'm wearing oh, abs- right now. Absolutely, absolutely. Medications. I, 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 Medications. Another great one. Medical equipment. Medical equipment. You know, there's a whole way, and we have this luxury in the Western world in the way that we live, and this is provided by feedstocks from the oil and gas industry. And we can bring people up in those other third world countries. Exactly. That's another thing we don't get credit for mm-hmm. is what that does for what oil and gas and mm-hmm. all its feedstock and everything else does for those people yeah so well amanda you and i are uh, (laughs) i may have to join this eic organization (laughs) which speaking of so i guess your website is www.theeic oh the eic hyphen oh boy oh i'm sorry I am so bad. My CEO is going to kill me. (laughs) www.the-eic.com. The-eic.com, not .org? .com. .com. Okay. All right. Well, Amanda, you don't have to remember that. Everybody everybody who's listening doesn't have to remember that because we'll put it in the show notes. But if they want to find out more about Energy Industries Council, that's where you go, I suppose. And I guess that's also where you can go to find out about membership and benefits and all that sort of thing. And I just have to say this year, we're celebrating our 80th anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Yes, thank you. So we have quite a few events happening globally with all the pomp and circumstances to be expected of an Oak Jubilee. And also what we're doing is taking initiative globally as it is our Oak Jubilee to plant trees. Oh, um, okay. So all of our offices globally are doing that and we're asking our members to come along. So it really is an exciting year for us. Well, that's great. I'm glad we could be a part of that and introduce people. Well, thank you to, so to much. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you coming on the show. As always, we want to thank everybody else out there for listening. Please tell your friends to listen. Post us on LinkedIn, your other social media. Leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or the review link that's actually in the show notes. We'd really appreciate that if you take the time to do that. Please tune in again next week for another episode of Knowledge Vines Oil & Gas HIC podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. 
Remember, KnowledgeVine is your dependable partner for full-service human performance and safety consulting, KnowledgeVine error reduction that works. And discover more about KnowledgeVine by finding in the show notes our website link and other contact information, including, if it's not too late while you're listening, that conference discount code and EIC's website address. And you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn, and we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.